Welcome back to the Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. Have a listen to what's ahead. You know, I was kind of maxed out uh, at around 50 feet, which is still a really, really big cliff. You know, it took so much concentration, but to think anything past that was impossible. It's just way too scary. I happened to be in the right place at the right time, ready to stare down that really intense barrel on the one day of the year that you might have the conditions to do a 100 foot cliff on the entire planet. This episode is a remarkable conversation with one of the world's greatest big air skiers. US-based Julian Carr's passion is free ride skiing combined with a quest to ski off the biggest cliffs possible. He holds the world record for anyone skiing off a cliff at 210 feet, and he regularly skis off 100 foot cliffs. I was fascinated to understand what led him into this pursuit and what detailed preparation has to happen before he launches into big air, often doing tricks before landing and skiing off. It was one of the few interviews where my palms started sweating immediately, and to be honest, they never really dried out. Julian has appeared in multiple Warren Miller ski movies, skiing in the world's most iconic places. He is a true pro, savouring every moment of being a full-time skier. But how do you develop a mindset for such an extreme pursuit? And how do you know when to say no, even when you've got a large film crew in tow? So Julian, uh, yeah, great to see you. Where where are you right now? I am uh, in Colorado. And yeah, it's starting to snow out here, so I'm getting really excited for the winter. Okay, so when will you get on skis for the first time, do you think? Oh, I think probably next week. Um, I'm My birthday usually falls on November 9th, so I'm pretty lucky. I usually have my day one on my birthday, so it might be the same routine this year. We'll see. Okay, so I mean, just thinking about a year for you, what does a typical year look like? Like how many days on skis? What, what other things are going on in your life? You know, uh, I'm usually putting a good 100 days on skis a year. That's probably been consistent. Um, and, you know, I love, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into it later in the conversation, I love cliffs, I love air. Uh, but really, that really stems from is just loving skiing. And my favorite version of skiing is powder. You know, skiing powder is, uh, you can't beat it. And uh, obviously, when you're in those surroundings and you actually do find great snow to ski in, um, that's when you can start looking at the features in the vicinity and the cliffs and then the lines and then the cool stuff like that. But, you know, my winter is usually based around trying to find the deepest snow I can as often as possible. That's the pursuit for sure. And how many, I mean, I know it's every season varies and I guess it depends where you're based um in terms of powder days but out of a hundred skiing days how many decent days of powder would you expect or hope for i bet you there's been a couple years where i'd say 70 of those days were powder um you know i think last year was probably more like 30 to 40 uh which last year was a challenging year i just happened to time some trips right and pay attention to some storms that I ended up uh, kind of hitting that sweet spot uh, quite a bit, even last year when that was challenging. Yeah. And do you travel, are you mainly in the States or are you, you're moving around? 
each year I seem to get one or two international trips. Um, I definitely love skiing all over the U S but, uh, you know, like last year I went to Europe twice, went to Switzerland and, uh, Norway. Um, and, you know, previous years I'll try to get to the least, uh, Europe, if not, uh, Japan as well, or British Columbia. Um, I've spent probably nine summers down in South America. Um, so yeah, I'm always trying to poke around. And like I said, I'm just trying to find powder. So if it's happening in the U S uh, you know, going to the Alps, if it was a dry year, there might not be that year. Um, so it just depends on kind of what the storm cycles are doing, um, on the globe, uh, each particular winter. Nice. Hunting it out. Exactly. <laughs> not a bad life. <laughs> I enjoy it for sure. Absolutely. Listen, you know what I remember when I was a, probably I'm, I'm older than you, but when I was a kid, you know, we was really into the James Bond movies, and obviously there's the super famous movie with Rick Sylvester going off Mount Asgard. I rewatched the clip today. I mean, it's just a, an incredible scene from that film. Of course, you know, he, we don't know that he's got a base jump rig. He pulls that, and it's really <laughs> spectacular. Um, and then watching clips of you, I mean, you've set all kinds of records, sort of competing and also big air. And, and if people are listening and have not seen the clips, that they should go and see the clips of Julian. I mean, I like my skis reasonably close to the ground, it has to be said. Uh, you know, the odd little jump. How did you, was it like, I don't know when you started skiing, what age you were, but were you gravitated to big air quite quickly or is it something that just come later? You know, I'd say that, well, first of all, that James Bond movie for the year that came out, that was light years ahead of obviously uh, that kind of vision to have that kind of a stunt. So that was just incredible. Um, still is incredible, but especially when it came out, like, wow, I was so forward thinking. Um, and yeah, I think for me, I started skiing in eighth grade. So it was a little later, uh, certainly than all my peers once I got into the professional skiing, but um, I have a background in gymnastics, uh, when I was a, a youngster and playing lots of team sports, skateboarding. Um, but I really enjoyed, uh, gymnastics and I loved, loved the foam pit. Uh, I would always be playing in the foam pit. I get there early to play in the foam pit. I'd stay after to play in the foam pit. And so, in a, you know, growing up in uh, Salt Lake city, Utah, um, the Cottonwood Canyons, uh, you know, pretty famous for having a lot of deep light snow that are perfect uh, for jumping big cliffs um, or small cliffs for that matter. So when I started skiing in eighth grade, uh, I, you know, experienced powder for my first time. And immediately I made the connection that jumping into powder was very similar uh, to jumping into a foam pit. Um, as long as you are diligent in finding deep enough powder to land in, um, it is actually quite safe and very similar to a foam pit. So as I fell in love with skiing in eighth grade and all through high school, um, you know, I really gravitated towards air, air into powder, um, another foam pit. <laughs> so to me, nice. the mountains, uh, you know, are just a bigger version of a gymnastics uh, foam pit. <laughs> yeah. So you came from, you obviously had good physical condition, probably quite good coordination from that background and, you liked big air. Talk us through some of the, I mean, you're known for lots of things, but some of the really big jumps, um, I think is one 
it's more than 200 feet, isn't it? Some records yeah. you set. Yeah, yeah. So I have a couple, a few world records in, in the cliff uh, height uh, category. And, you know, I mentioned the physical part. You know, the, the interesting part of my journey has been the, the mental part. Um, yeah. You know, to calmly assess and execute cliffs of, you know, pretty big heights. Um, you know, I've routinely done, I shouldn't say routinely, I've done probably around 15 to 20 cliffs in the 100 feet or bigger category. And, um, you know, my biggest one at 220 feet, but, uh, the, the act, the pursuit, the, the protocol is, you know, there's always a lot of fear involved. Um, cause a lot of people ask, they're like, how, you know, are you fearless? Do you have no fear? And, you know, the answer is no, I absolutely do. But what I realized is, you know, when I was in college and really starting to find my legs under me and starting to get some sponsors and skiing and really just had this affinity and connection to, to cliffs, um, you know, I was kind of maxed out uh, at around 50 feet, which is still a really, really big cliff. And, you know, it took so much concentration uh and, you know, that, that mental part to be able to be comfortable with 40, 50 foot cliffs, but to think anything past that was impossible. It was just way too scary. Um, but I was just so uh, interested. I was so, you know, curious. And I knew that other guys in skiing history had done cliffs over 100 feet. So I was like, man, if, if these other guys could do it, like, how can I wrap my head around it? How did they do it? How did they get the cheat code? So I would hike up to uh, some cliffs in the summertime and actually go find myself right on the edge. And I just sit cross-legged and I don't know if I want to use the word meditate, but I would just, I'd want to absorb that kind of energy to be in such a, you know, precarious situation and how mentally I could ever think of being comfortable in that kind of a, in a, of an environment. So I just purposely sought out those, uh, high alpine areas just in the summertime, just to even attempt to wrap my head around, uh, airing one in the wintertime. And it was just intense. Um, a couple of years went by of being really interested, trying to wrap my head around it and still not finding that cheat code. It was just too scary. Um, and I'd say finally I kind of had an aha moment. And what I realized was, you know, when you hit a 50-foot cliff, you have maybe a second, a second and a half in the air. And that's from a high enough height that, you know, you need to have done your homework with the landing. Um, you need to have had the right air awareness and body mechanics and center of gravity to hit in a way on the ground that you kind of cooperate with your landing and hopefully ski away just kind of in one fluid motion. And it's a, you know, intense, uh, pursuit. It's an intense, um, you know, artistry. And, you know, what kind of hit me was like, Hey, if I did, if I can just have 0.5 seconds or maybe one more second of composure in the air and, and find that center of gravity and that, that, uh, that kind of, um, calm, 
uh, air mechanics, air awareness that you, you need when you hit a 50 footer. I'm like, if I could just get 0.5 seconds or one more second of composure in the air, if I've already dropped 50 feet, another 0.5 seconds will most certainly tack on another 50 feet probably. So I was like, if I can do 50 feet in one second of composure in the air, if I can just stay composed for a half a more second, that should equate to another 50 feet, meaning I should be able to accomplish a 100-foot cliff. And the only thing separating me is 0.5 seconds of composure. So that just kind of resonated with me. And the very next winter uh, was a great winter. Um, I was out for a sunrise uh, shoot, and we were up skiing some you know, really, really deep snow on a really big base. Uh, couldn't have been any more perfect for hitting cliffs. And we came around the corner in the backcountry, and I just noticed we kind of had to get around this corner of uh, what looked like a cliff. So I kind of snuck out there and told my crew that I was going to go check out what looked like a cliff over here. So they got their eyes on me, and I kind of snuck out there and uh, had a look. And it was you know, 90, 90, it was like a 90 foot cliff. <laughs> and wow. immediately it was just so scary to look down off of something that far. Uh, everything in me was just scared. Um, but I was like, man, I, I need to go down and maybe I should probe this. And that's, that's where it started. I was like, just go probe it and start to get to know what the safety would look like on this thing. So I ski down and around and I probed this cliff. And I mean, it is unbelievably deep. It couldn't be more perfect. So I was with my crew, uh, a couple other skiers and a photographer. And they were like, hey, man, if you want to hike back up there, even if you don't want to do it, whatever, like we are here to support you and just know that we have full our full support. So it was really cool to have their patience. Hiked back up there and you know, skied slowly back down to that takeoff area. And again, it was uh, high, really high heart rate, um, very scary. And everything in me was like, next time, this one isn't it. Uh, so I was pretty much turning my skis to get off that mountain. When it hit me, I was like, hey, <laughs> this is never not going to be scary. That's what I realized. I was like, if you are as interested in these kinds of experiences, um, this is the experience. And if you think you have the ability to do this, you need to stare down, you know, the barrel of this. You need to sit with this fear, try to process it and see if you can't get to the other side. At least you need to sit down with this fear, stay up here. And let it resonate with you and see if you can work through it. So that's what I did. And I did. It was amazing. I kind of had this, uh, and it happens on every big cliff. Um, it's always scary, but I do sit with that fear and it helps me visualize what I'm doing. Uh, and supremely, uh, you know, I would say convert um, that fear into thinking, critical thought. Uh, and from that, becomes confidence, like pure, pure confidence. Um, and it is like a kind of hyper-present exercise. Um, it kind of becomes, I would say, almost meditational, and I, my heart rate gets really, really relaxed. So I'm able to convert that fear, you know, pure fear into pure confidence um, and have this really nice existence of 
I'm going to do this and I'm going to be okay. Um, and I, I know I'm going on and on here, but I should rewind just a little bit that part of this path was uh, when I was 19 years old or so, and it was the first year I had sponsors. Um, you know, I, I was pretty overconfident, classic, uh, you know, I, I can ski anything in my path kind of mentality. And usually I could. Um, and so this one particular year, uh, I was getting sponsors. I was doing a really good job in preseason conditioning. It was the first day of the season. And I just felt on top of the world. I was skiing really well. And I uh, actually checked out this line that I normally wouldn't ever ski until halfway through the season. But I was just feeling really on it. And it was kind of a really technical line. He had to get through a bunch of rocks and it was kind of a double cliff. Anyway, I, I skied it and I skied it really well. And I was having one of the best days of my life, really. And I met up with some buddies that I knew would be pretty impressed that I'd be taking down a line like that on the first day of the year. So I took them over to the cliff, the double cliff line. And uh, before they can even wrap their head around that I was even thinking of doing it, I just dropped in and I didn't quite concentrate and get my uh, full uh, being focused on what I was doing. I just kind of dropped in and, and of course I didn't line it all up right. And I, uh, went over the handlebars off the second cliff and tried to outstretch myself to clear the rocks. And I didn't, I clipped my hip on the rocks and like kind of ended up face down in the snow. And I was like, Oh man, I think I just bruised my hip like really bad. And I rolled over onto my back and my leg and was actually draped across my body and my boot was up by my head oh, so i had wow. this limp full leg draped on my body and you know i grabbed my leg and like plopped it down in the snow and pulled it back in the socket and the only thing i could think of was like okay hey, can you move your toes and i could so i was like okay that's that's good i was like um well if i start losing my uh you know clarity of thought right now it means i probably severed an internal artery and this might be it so it was like really 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 intense to have that experience and i didn't lose clarity uh at the end of the day i shattered my femur in 11 pieces um Whoa. doctors yeah doctors thought it would take me a couple years to get back on my feet and be skiing um, i actually skied that spring i was super dedicated to getting healthy again and i had you know some hard conversations with myself about the path I was on and how dangerous skiing was. And I just made a promise to myself that I wouldn't go by that, you know, code of conduct of 99% sure I could do everything. And that 1% finally nailed me. So I kind of made a promise to myself that I would only pursue stuff if I was 100%. So fast forward to that 90 foot cliff I was on top of after I faced the fear and you know, really processed what I was doing, I found this 100% clarity and it was pure and genuine. And I had this funny thought to myself that I was like, man, if I don't do this cliff, I would be dishonoring myself because I'm at 100%. So uh, I called down to my buddies that were down there and told them that I was 100% and I was a minute out. So they got all ready for me. And, um, you know, I sidestepped up and just executed and you know when i got out into the air i had a perfect center of gravity and let me tell you the sights from that high in the air were completely new to me and to be that high in the air uh, it's kind of like a timeout you know like time stood still i had 
full, full thoughts of conscious thoughts, many of them go through my head that superseded any kind of usual time frame that I'm used to dealing with. And uh, I'll never, I've never experienced anything like it. Only, only big cliffs. And anyway, time back in, I did stay composed. And uh, when I came into contact in the snow, I was extremely relaxed and it was softer. It felt softer than any cliff I'd ever hit in my life. And I skied away laughing. And at that moment I was like, Oh my goodness, there's no limit. There's no limit on height. So from that experience on, it kind of just opened the lid on my pursuit of big cliffs and this really intense uh, process that I go through by converting that fear and not not executing until I find that clarity. Um, and, you know, since I've had those in, uh, intimate relationship with consequences with having such serious injuries, it's, you know, not anything I take lightly. I love living. I uh I feel like I have a well-rounded life with lots of other interests and great relationships. I'm married and want to have kids. And so, you know, I, I understand that it's dangerous. And luckily I had an experience that did almost take that from me. So um, it's a very, very intense uh, lifestyle. And sometimes I laugh to myself when I'm up checking out some big ass cliff <laughs> and the photographers are getting ready and I'm sorting it all out. I'm like, how in the world did I end up being this guy? Like, how am I this cliff dude? It's so strange that this is my path in life, but uh, it's deliberate. Like I said, it's an, it's kind of an art, uh, an act of artistry for me. And it's a very mindful. Uh, it's not what you see by, you know, the stereotypical, uh, you know, slam of Mountain Dew and adrenaline rush kind of a thing. For me, it's the exact opposite. And, you know, I'm up there to exist with the surroundings. Uh, I don't want to dominate the mountain. I'm there to share in its energy. It's a very respectful, like act of love. Um, so I just know that my heart's in it. I have the right intent and I truly love the process. So it's a, it's just still it's strange that this is my path in life, you know? So that's a very, very long answer to Julian, your question. No, it's <laughs> absolutely. You, you, well, what you've actually done is you, you've, you've answered a lot of the questions I had anyway, and that was absolutely wonderful. And <laughs> Thanks for sharing that kind of intense experience, the incident, and then, yeah, what's going on in, in your mind? Extraordinary. Because, I mean, I'm trying to think the nearest I've ever been to that. It's, it's, I've done a little bit of deep water soloing, which is nothing like what you're wow. doing. But we're climbing on cliffs in Mallorca and things like that. And I'm, I'm a wimp. I've got it's, <laughs> some people. I've got friends who maybe technically um, you know, are not as good as me, but they are so brave. And then I've got friends who are much stronger than me, technical and brave as well. And you obviously you've probably seen videos of the people right at the top, like Chris Sharma, the American. And it's, um, but the, the modest stuff that I've done there, what I find is that uh, you know, in Mallorca, even on the smaller cliffs, the best thing for me to do is to jump in straight away into the sea. So I'm comfortable with it. That's my way of checking it out, if you like. And then once you start climbing, um, you know, you're a bit more relaxed. Uh, you know, of course, I'm, I mean, I'm talking like, 30 foot 40 foot but still the bigger cliffs it's really yeah. hard to relax trying to climb up but i can't imagine doing it on skis and i was just thinking what kind of depth say a 100 foot cliff what kind of depth of snow are you ideally looking for to make the landing justifiable well what's interesting to me is that uh you know cliff jumpers 
that jump into water routinely uh, every day of the week, probably somewhere on the planet, there's a cliff jumper jumping into water from a hundred feet. And in my opinion, uh, that's way more dangerous than jumping a hundred feet on skis into deep snow on the side of a mountain. Um, but the difference is I can't go and, you know, park my car and walk to a perfect hundred foot cliff whenever I feel like it, like these water jumpers can. Sure. Obviously it still takes, I think even more skill, uh, and technique and precision. Um, but in my opinion, when you're dealing with really deep snow, we're talking, you know, the base of the mountain will have 10 feet of snow. So up on the high Alpine where these cliffs are, there are 15 to 25 feet of snow base. And then there'll be a recent system that have culminated to maybe four to five more feet on top of that 15 feet. And then a fresh layer of 30 to 50 inches that just fell the night before. So it's a very unique uh set of circumstances that, like I said, I'm out there trying to find powder year round. And from that pursuit, I happen to be in the right place at the right time, ready to stare down that really intense barrel on the one day of the year that you might have the conditions to do a 100 foot cliff on the entire planet, you know? So that's, that's kind of the interesting part, but as far as the depth, you know, and I'm not jumping straight into it like a water jumper. I mean, I have pitch and I'm coming off of it with speed. So I'm coming into contact with that 30 foot deep of snow at an angle with speed. Um, and my technique of doing a front flip, uh, it kind of works with the angle of the landing from that height. And when I dive through the snow, I'm essentially swan diving. So I don't get caught up in the, you know, being open to the wind catching me and dictating what I do. The biggest cliff I've done a straight air off of was 175 feet. And that was pretty early on. It was actually the next, no wait. Yeah, it was the next year after I did that 90 footer. I did, there's this beautiful cliff in Wolverine, Cirque in Utah. Um, and I did it four times the next winter. Uh, a straight air, a front flip, a back flip, and a spread eagle all throughout the winter, starting in December and then January, February, and then on April 1st. It was the last time I hit it that year, but uh, the what I learned was that by far and away, when you do a big backflip, you're at the mercy of how you set it. So if you set it too slow, you might run into an issue. If you set it too fast, you might you know run into an issue with an over rotation. Uh, if you do straight air, you open yourself up to the wind grabbing your skis, uh, and with the front flip, and you lead with your hips, you. Uh, can turn your flip over whenever you feel like it. So uh, by far and away, the the technique I realized for any cliffs over 100 feet was doing the front flip and it didn't leave you open to, or it left you less exposed to the idea of, you know, something compromising your air mechanics. Brilliant. Julian, I wanted to talk about general skiing as well, because I'm sure that, you know, you're just going out having great days in the mountains. I've now got a picture in my head of when you're skiing and not even doing, you're not going for the big jumps, but I, I, your style is, you know, you're going off small cliffs and like the whole time speed. And I mean, is that how it is for you? Like big? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I love, uh, 
you know, I competed on the U.S. free skiing, uh, well, actually the, the world free skiing tour for uh, a number of years. And um, I think that's what's so fun about skiing is that you can look at this environment. And uh, I guess with my skateboarding background, I, you know, you piece together a, a line uh, that maybe you'll steer around features and, and your marks and your tracks look beautiful uh, and it's fun to navigate through those types of surroundings or you choose to involve features um, or a trick or a straight air. Where are you losing your speed if you need to? Is that presumably you're just in the, in the terrain and turning on, you know, or you, yeah, you trying? that's yeah. part of your planning, you know, and that's what's interesting about snow is the moving snow that's a part of your experience when you're planning routes down, especially in Alaska. Um, once you get your slough moving down the mountain, uh, that's a whole other factor you have to consider when you're planning and skiing from, you know, the top to the bottom is like, what else is happening with the snow that I'm starting to create uh, movement with as I ski down this mountain? Where are the features? Can I access them? What's my plan B? Uh, and obviously snow safety and the, the plan that you put together with your, your production team and the people you're out in the hills with. But yeah, I mean, for lack of a better term, like extreme skiing, um, being up on really dynamic, uh, high alpine peaks and, you know, the beauty and hiking up to them most often, um, you know, or the luxury of rarely having helicopter trips, but that happens every once in a while. But I think that's a common misconception with extreme skiing is that everyone assumes that we're taking helicopters to everything. And that's just not the case. We're usually hiking. So, you know, it's a beautiful way to spend a day in nature. And I think part of that professionalism comes into it because, you know, you have to have your diet, right. You have to be waking up early. You have to show up on time. You need to have your equipment ready. You need to have your safety skills intact. And you need to work hard. Uh, you need to communicate well, and you need to produce, uh, you know, whatever you're trying to produce on whatever schedule you're on. And there's a lot to get done. Um, and you're also out there to have fun, but it's also your professional. So I think, you know, you just start gravitating towards other professionals that you end up becoming good friends with that uh, do have that professionalism intact. And you can go out and uh, be creative. And I love the creative process. I love thinking about what they're, the filmers are looking at and how we can create the most content possible, have the most fun possible, and not just for myself, but the other people in the group. And what are their interests? What kind of terrain do they like? Um, how can we stage the day so that we can all get done what we would love to do and have it be a big win-win for everybody? So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really fun being a professional skier. Um, and I just say that, like, the professionalism I enjoy. I think a lot of really good skiers come along that might not enjoy that part of it. And they might show up on the scene for a couple of years because they're so talented, but their professionalism lacks. So they kind of fade away and, you know, they did some neat things and then you don't see them anymore. So when you see skiers that are a mainstay, it's because they do have that professionalism and they enjoy it. Yeah. Well said. And so filmmaking, I want to, I want to talk about that. I know you've been in a lot of the, uh, the Warren Miller films, which are obviously pretty legendary. Just tell us a little bit about the Warren Miller films, because how did it all start? Um, what's the history behind those films? Uh, you know, I think Warren Miller pretty much invented uh, filming extreme sports and making movies. Uh, I mean, he might have in, in, invented <laughs> action sports industry as we know it. You know, he started just making 
ski movies when that didn't even exist, making makeshift showings for like a nickel back in the 50s. And anyway, the, the Ward Miller franchise has just grown into this kind of rites of passage, uh, annual tradition that I think his films have been responsible for more people skiing, at least in America, that by far in a way than any other uh, type of media or uh, company um, easily. Uh, I think you can ask anybody in the ski industry who has got more people skiing in the United States over the past 50 years. And it's easily, it's Warren Miller because they put together this amazing tour uh, globally, but of course throughout the entire United States that just, it's, it's pretty special to be a part of. And I'll say that filming with Warren Miller, I always use this analogy that uh, when like younger up and coming skiers are getting really interested, they ask for advice and I always say like, hey, you know, to understand what it takes to film and to shoot photos, if you have, you know, let's say you have a A level talent, like you're doing A kind of A category maneuvers, maybe A plus, and you're out there with a photographer that's only C grade, that means your A grade stuff is going to look C grade, unfortunately. So I'm like, you always need to seek out really professional photographers that have uh, you know, a, a great reputation that are also a grade. So when you're putting your a skills together and they're putting their a photography skills together, then you come out with some truly spectacular stuff. And so with Warren Miller, they have the best cinematographers in the planet. So it's very fun to be out there with them because you know that when you're putting together, uh, what you want to do on your skis, you have this amazing confidence uh, and rapport and trust in the person behind the lens is capturing it in a way that's making you look like a superhero. <laughs> so, yeah. and then you get to be a part of the whole world tour. And that in itself is incredible because I grew up eighth and ninth grade. I went to Warren Miller movies. Scott Schmidt was the guy and he was doing cliffs. And I just was like, man, this guy is amazing. Um, so I went and got his autograph, of course, on a poster to Warren Miller movie. And then fast forward, uh, doing seven or eight of their films now and having, you know, a line out the door of these same kids that I was back in the day, getting uh, coming up and getting an autograph from me. Uh, it's just truly, I'm grateful for it. Uh, it's been a deliberate uh, path. So it's, it's a nice affirmation and I'm very proud of it and, and obviously humbled by it. Yeah, well said. And, and Thanks for sharing that. And you touched on confidence there. And I was just thinking that, you know, have you ever had the situation where your confidence, like in a filming situation or a competition where maybe you felt your confidence dip or by that stage, have you normally done the prep in the season? You've been out, you're just feeling good. You've done your homework as it were. <laughs> well, I'd say that, um, you know, you're limited by the safety uh, and your ability to make those kinds of assessments. So once you do, when you get into those types of terrain, it's usually uh, pretty straightforward. But I will say with big cliffs, um, you know, with that promise I made to myself, I've been out in the field with uh, other athletes, filmers, photographers, and uh, this one in particular uh, took us all morning to hike to before the sun came up. And I went and probed the landing of this really beautiful cliff that uh, ended 
uh, this line that I'd skied this peak a few times in the past. And there's the chute. You kind of ski a straight line through the chute on the exit that I've enjoyed. But the, the wall on the right side of the chute is actually like a 90 foot cliff. And I always had this idea of skiing the line from the very top of the mountain. And instead of skiing down the chute, I would hang a right and air the 90 foot cliff. And so I went and that was my intention for the day and I uh, went and probed the landing and it was, uh, you know, hundred percent good to go. I had that clarity and, you know, it took another hour to hike up on top of the mountain and the filmers would take a couple hours to hike into their location. And I had my safety guy cause I always have someone that can ski straight to me in the landing just in case, uh, like the landing caves in on me, which I have had happen a couple of times, which is really scary. But so I always have a safety person anyway. This whole day on a big, beautiful bluebird day, there's only so many of those you get each season. And as professionals in this industry, like you really need to generate as much, uh, you know, results as you possibly can on those days because um, they just, there's not that many. So we all decided this is a great plan for the day. The other athletes were supporting what I wanted to do and they could still get some stuff done after I did my line. So anyway, I, was ready to go. I signaled, skied down. And when I got to my exit right, I got up onto this little uh, ridge and I made a couple turns and two turns later, I'd be off the cliff and just, I just got this really big rush of, uh, you know, a spike in a heart rate and fear. So I, I hit the brakes and stopped. And I was like, wow, like my heart is going crazy right now. And so I was like, okay, well, we obviously can't get, <laughs> I just botched the entire line from the top and off. And I'm like, but we, maybe I can get calm up here and we can still uh, salvage getting just this cliff shot. So I got on the radio. I was like, hey guys, like I'm just, you know, really uh, something doesn't feel right. Just give me a few minutes. Let me see if I can sort through this. Just give me, give me a few and then I can take your time. So I did, I tried to calm down. I tried to you know, go through that process. And I, I could not, I just, my heart, I was, it was too scary. My heart was going too crazy. I could not get calm. I could not get clarity. And I stayed up there for about a half hour and usually it would happen a little quicker and it just, I couldn't. So I got on the radio. I was like, Hey guys, uh, I apologize, you know, but, um, just there's something that doesn't feel right about it. So I'm, I'm going to abort. I'm out of here. Um, but you know, these other athletes are going to be up on the ridge in a minute. So they'll get something done for you. So they were like, no problem. Uh, just get out of that zone safely. And uh, we'll talk to you in a, in a few. So I got out of there and watched my buddies ski their lines and they still got some amazing stuff. And then we all hiked out of this zone. By then it's, you know, 1 PM, the, the light's hot, the snow's different. Um, and the whole morning was the time you need to be producing with the cool light and the good snow. And so we hike up out of this ridge and meet up with the photographer and the filmer that were up there. And they both just tackled me and gave me a hug. And they were like, man, that was just so cool to see you make that kind of decision and to not feel any kind of pressure that maybe you would have thought we had for you to do something that didn't feel right. So they're like, anyway, like we just wanted to tell you that was really, really cool to see. You and we're just happy to be a part of that. Yeah, that's really, thanks for sharing that because I, you know, I've heard of, I think there's a famous quote from one of the Formula One racing drivers that talks, I can't remember who said it, but, you know, it, it sometimes takes incredible courage to sort of back out of it. You know, if they're not feeling right on a certain bend at high speed in those cars, and you've just, 
and I think that's I think that's been true and, and that authenticity, isn't it? And that's really good to know. And I know that one of the famous American climbers, Peter Croft, who's done a lot of free soloing, um, often uh, not being filmed, but he, he's had that a few times where, and I think in the Alex Honnold film, Free Solo, Honnold actually has a discussion with Peter Croft and, and, and Peter Croft says to him, you, you, I can't remember exactly what he says, but it, it's something around this. That, you know, you, you if, the, if it doesn't feel right, you, you've got to come down. Yeah, I think um, now that you mentioned, you know, that film of Alex Arnold, uh, it's interesting when he talks about the mental space that he is able to, um, you know, exist in comfortably. And it's it's so interesting because I, I understand it. And for me, when I access that mind frame, you know, it might take me, you know, a day or two, or if I went and checked out a cliff out in the summer, but anyway, there's this whole culmination of when I actually do attain that, uh, you know, pure, uh, like hyper presence, you're just so present at all times to execute that that's all that exists. You're, you're, you're just present and, and competent, obviously, and you're 100%. So when I am in that mind frame and I execute on a big cliff, I might explore that, that kind of mental existence for maybe, maybe five minutes to go from, you know, the actual, all right, guys, I'm ready. Let's do this and have the production team ready. And then I execute. Uh, and, but for Alex Arnold to, to, to exist in that time frame for four and a half hours, uh, yeah. to me, I think, I mean, that's, I think that, that was one of the most amazing displays of human achievement physically and mentally, uh, ever, ever done. It's, it's, it was truly, truly, uh, incredible. Uh, just can't, can't be more amazed by that ability to be in that mental space for that long and execute yeah. and exist. It's so, so intense and so incredible that he, he's able to do it yeah i mean because if you you know you're talking about whatever word you want to use but being in the bubble or whatever there's you know if you come out of that you know there's, there's like you say it's <laughs> such a it's yeah i mean we could we could go on i what, what i wanted to do julian was to try and bring it down to you know because it's the winter's coming on there's a lot of people probably listening to this and have been kind of spellbound and if they're anything like me my palms are sweating and i'm i'm kind of ready for a beer but it is a bit it's nighttime here in the UK, so I can do that. But cool. I was thinking about tips that we could pass on just for the more, you know, person that's going out there a couple of weeks a year. Um, I mean, commitment is such a big thing. I, I came to skiing late. So when I trained to be a mountain guide, climbing was my strong suit. They had to spend a lot of time in, in, in Europe, uh, had some coaching. And it was just fantastic because it, I'd spent so much time in the mountains. And then suddenly there was this, this other... Um, pursuit skiing and it just blew my mind you know i hadn't been brought up with skiing as a kid so i was sort of 20 when i discovered skiing and then once i started skiing back country and you know ski touring it was just such, such a wonderful world but one of the big things was um commitment and trying to get into that headspace you know when you start skiing just the fact that you know leaning leaning down the slope really committing those lines um do you ever, I don't know whether you ski with people who are less able than you. And I mean, I, I don't, you're a ski teacher, but 
what tips do you have for that, you know, to sort of, to ski that line, whether it's trees or whether it's trying to navigate through cliffs? It's, it's like baby steps to, to be able to progress. Um, and I think that's just, that's just it. I think, you know, for me, I, I was tried doing a two foot jump, two foot rock into snow and got comfortable with that and decided to try five feet and then 10 feet, you know, and that comfort zone is just expanded to, you know, having that comfort zone of a 200 foot cliff, uh, is familiar because I got there slowly. So I think, you know, being able to, you know, tell people that it's more about progressing in a way that doesn't have quantum leaps. Uh, it's more, you know, baby steps. And I think you touched on earlier how you like to jump in the water first and really get a feel for your surroundings, then start climbing. I think that's huge with people that are interested in jumping. Uh, I, you know, they're like, I've been out in the mountains and people have been up on cliffs and they're like, Hey, is there any rocks down there? Is that, is that a good landing? And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know, bro. Like you should yeah. never be asking someone else that question. Like you need to come down here, feel this snow, get a relationship with this snow, see where you're coming from. Uh, really, really get a big, big sense of what you're doing out here. Uh, you know, it's the mountains. The mountains are a really, really rowdy, ancient place to, to you know, recreate. And you need to think things through. You need to get as much knowledge as possible to move through them. So, I mean, that's a huge thing to say to people that are out there trying to get a feel for, you know, skiing in particular. I mean, everyone that puts on a pair of skis, A, you want to go fast and B, you want to catch air. Like those are two things you want to do when you get on skis. Um, and to do either of those, you really need to explore familiarity and what, where you are. Obviously technique, and baby steps are a big part of that. But I would just say like, uh, you know, if you're going to do something that might be risky, you need to know where you are and, and what it feels like uh, as much as possible. Well said. So preparation is absolutely key. And I presume that, well, obviously that's the equipment as well, isn't it? So everything, it's conditions, it's equipment, the people you're skiing with, carrying absolutely. the right avalanche equipment, you know, the transceivers, like all that stuff is sort of standard. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, gear for a lot of people when they're getting started might be overlooked a little bit because how many people do you hear that, you know, doesn't quite get into ice climbing or skiing or whatever because they don't want to be cold. And maybe they had their first experience with, you know, the wrong gear and they're permanently affected with that idea that they're going to be cold. And then obviously, um, you know, being aligned with rab outerwear there, they make such bomber stuff that you can be in those conditions and be completely fine. And that goes along with, you know, things that add a little bit of comfort to avalanche safety with amazing avalanche packs these days. Uh, ski technology is amazing. Um, and down the line. So, you know, that's step one is just make sure you have the adequate outdoor gear on so you can be in the elements all day and be comfortable. Yeah. And I'm, I'm I'm assuming that certainly early season in North America, you're getting some pretty cold temperatures. Yeah, it's actually snowing right out the window right now. Um, you know, resorts are starting to open in Colorado. Tons of people have been hiking in Utah already. I know there's plenty of snow in Montana. Things are happening in Tahoe. So, yeah, I mean, 
skiing, skiing's kicking off right now. It's, it's happening. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Thanks for giving us so much insight into your world, your life. <laughs> well, thanks, uh, man. Yeah, have a, have a great season and uh, yeah, look forward to watching your progress. All the best. Stay safe. Thanks, man. Pleasure to talk to you. I'm a really big fan of everything you've done in the climbing world. And so thanks to Tom for the conversation, man. Uh, I'll see you out there. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've been your host, Andy Cave, and you've been listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast. To keep up to date and to hear more interviews like this, don't forget to subscribe 